0: Good morning, my name's Leanne. Our gospel reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour.
1: Thanks, Leanne. It would be great if you could keep your Bible open as we consider this parable, uh, so that we can be uh, looking and considering uh, what it has to say as we work through. But as we begin, I'm going to come before God in prayer, so please pray with me. Almighty God, uh, your Word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, May you work through it now to grow us and shape us to be like your Son, Jesus And it's in his name we pray. Amen. There's perhaps nothing in the world that's quite captured our imagination as humans quite like the end of the world. Right throughout human history, there's been so much fascination with the end of the world. And so you see it in lots of different things. You see it with all the fables and the myths that have been... uh, made up about the end of the world, things like uh, the Ragnarok in Norse culture, where there'll be a great battle between gods and dragons and men, and it will result in the destruction of life as we know it. Or the seven suns, which is linked with Buddha, uh, where seven suns will come along and progressively destroy the world. Uh, For someone as pale and pasty as me, the idea of seven suns burning down, and uh, it's just quite a horrific idea, but that's what they've got. Uh, There's also been plenty of artworks about it, artworks like The Last Judgment by Michelangelo that paints quite a horrific picture of what the end of the world will look like. And in more modern times there's been songs written about it such as It's the End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. Uh, There's been movies such as Deep Impact and The Day After Tomorrow and they're all fascinated, all these things are trying to capture what the end of the world will be like. And then of course, across the ages, there's been countless predictions of when the end of the world will come. I did a very quick count, and do you know how many different predictions I found? Over 175 of them. And I'm sure you can remember some of them. I'm sure some of us here can remember Y2K and the predictions that the world was gonna end, computers were gonna shut down, food supply was gonna be interrupted, and the life as we know it was gonna end. Or what about 2012? I don't know if you remember that. 2012, there was the Mayan calendar. So the Mayans, uh, South American people, uh, centuries ago, apparently had predicted that that's when the world was going to end. It was going to be on the 21st of December, 2012. What they'd done was made a calendar, and that was the last day on it. And so just before that date, there was actually quite a bit of hysteria around us on TV shows, in the news, and newspapers everywhere, as people were fascinated, is this the end of the world? and there's countless more examples. See, all of those, the movies, the fables, the predictions, they all in their own way seek to capture that all-encompassing dread that we feel about the world ending, life as we know it coming to a stop, the powerlessness of it, the world exploding and there's nothing we can do about it. All of our hopes and our dreams, gone. No future for us, no future for our kids, no future for humanity. And in today's parable, in our story with a purpose today, Jesus talks about the end of the world. It's about the day when all things as we know it will end, when Jesus will come again to judge the world, to hold every single one of us accountable. And so our parable tells us what to expect at the end of the world. And now you might be thinking, well, so what? As you said before, there's been over 175 different predictions about when the world will end. What makes Jesus any different? But what makes Jesus' comments different is that the world was made through him and for him. And so if anyone knows what the end of the world will be like, it's the one who made the who the world was made through and for. And so uh, we know that that the parable's talking about the end of of the world because the words it starts with, it starts with at that time, but of course it's referring back to the chapter before it. In chapter 24, Jesus has just been talking about the end of the ages and he speaks about it, what it will be like, and then he starts this parable with at that time. In other words, at the end of the world. And Jesus' big point then in our parable today is that we need to be prepared for the end of the world. And to make his point, he tells us a story about a wedding. And to understand it, it helps to know a little bit like what weddings were like in those times, because they're quite different to what our weddings today look like. In our weddings today, it's all about the bride. In a few weeks' time, we've got Helen and Tom from our evening congregation getting married. And on that day, it will all be about Helen. It will be about her wedding dress, about her hair, about her flowers, about her bridesmaids, that's what we'll all notice. And then maybe, eventually, we'll notice that Tom's there as well. But in those times, it was the reverse. The groom was the center of the wedding, which is weird, right? But that's the way it worked. And it started off with some private family celebrations at the bride's house. And those family, private family celebrations could go on for quite a while. Uh, for someone who was uh, quite poor, it could maybe go for a day, But for someone who's quite wealthy, those private family celebrations could go on for much longer, it could go on for a week. But eventually, once those private family celebrations were over, the groom would make his way, with his bride, to his own house, where the official ceremony would take place. And the the way it worked was, as he's making his way to his house, all of the invited guests would slowly join, and it would form this big procession as they make their way to the groom's house for the ceremony. And that's what we see here. There's 10 virgins, 10 friends of the bride, and they're all waiting for that wedding procession to happen as they move from the private family celebration across to the groom's house. Have a look at verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. See, they're waiting for the groom. They're waiting for this procession. And as they wait, they've got their lamps nearby uh, ready to kind of light the way as it comes. Because remember, the celebrations could go on for a long time, and sometimes it got dark. And so you'd need the lights, the lamps, to light the way. But as we saw before, we saw t- battery powered torches up here, but that's not what it was like in those times. They were oil lamps. And the thing about an oil lamp is it burns the oil as it's producing the light. So you need backup oil, you need spare oil. And we see that some of the virgins are well-prepared, they've brought back up oil, in case the celebrations go longer than expected. But some of them haven't. Did you see that in verses two to four? Have a look. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The wise ones have spare oil, but the foolish don't, they're not prepared. And we know what that's like. Imagine if you wanted to drive across the great Nullarbor Plain. If you're not sure what that is, it's a huge desert near the bottom of Australia. It's about 200,000 square kilometres of desert, and it's up to 1,100 kilometres wide, which is further than the distance from Melbourne to Sydney. And the whole way, it's just arid desert, there's just nothing there. And if you were to try and drive across that, then what would you take with you? Well, you'd probably take some snacks. You'd definitely take some water. You'd take plenty of sunscreen to avoid the harsh sun. Maybe a good podcast to listen to. But the most important thing to take would be a container filled with petrol. Because the last thing you want to happen is your car to run out of petrol when you're in the middle of the desert, far from petrol stations, far from anything. That would be the worst thing. That would be, could potentially be a life and death mistake. See, we all know what it's like. We all know you need to be prepared for things. And in the same way, the virgins here needed to be prepared. They needed to have backup oil in case the groom's celebration went on longer than expected. And in the parable, the groom is Jesus. It's quite a common biblical picture that Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. And he's saying that the end of the world will be like him going to the wedding ceremony with his people. And so we need to be prepared for that. Now, the thing about this parable is that we're the virgins. We're the ones watching on. We do know that in other parts of the Bible, we, the church, are referred to as Jesus' bride. Here it's a little bit different. And that's the point of parables. That's the thing about illustrations. They make different points. They put us in different positions to make those points. And the point here is that we're the virgins, we need to be prepared, because just like the virgins in the story, we don't know when the groom is returning. And so we need to be like the five wise ones who are prepared for it. No matter when the groom might return, no matter when Jesus might return, we need to be prepared. And again, we know that that's how things work. The more important something is, the more prepared we need to be, the more important it is that we're prepared. Think about it, Uh, when you're at school and you got your pen license, I don't know if they still do that, they did in my day, Uh, you get your pen license, how much do you need to prepare for that? Well, not that much. You get a pencil and you write a little bit and then they give you your pen license. But when you're getting your driver's license, how much do you need to prepare? Well, you need to prepare heaps. You need to drive so much in wet and dry conditions, at night and in the day. You need to do your reverse parking, you need to do your parallel parking, you need to do your three-point turns. All of that so that when you sit before the examiner, you're prepared. Or what about when you buy a chocolate bar? You don't need to prepare, do you? You go in there and you let your gut feel take you away. (laughs) But when you're buying a house, you need to be much more prepared. You need to look at the photos online. Then you need to go in person and see the house. Then you need to go in person again and visit again. Then you need to take someone along so you can get their opinion. Then you need to hire a building inspector. Then you need to get a solicitor to go through the contract of sale. You do so much work to make sure you're prepared because the more important something is, the more important it is that we're prepared. And of course, the end of the world is more important than getting a driver's license, or buying a house, or anything else we could think of. And it's so vital that we're not like the foolish virgins, that we are prepared, that we're like the wise. And so having made this point, that we need to be prepared, Jesus then gives us three reasons why. The first reason is because the big wait will be a big surprise. Because, did you see what happens? The groom's so long in coming that it catches them all by surprise. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. He comes so much later than they were expecting. He doesn't come until 12 a.m., and they've all fallen asleep by that time. Uh, They probably thought he wasn't going to come that day. I mean, after all, who gets married at midnight? No one does. And so they thought he'd still be partying for the rest of the day. He'd make his way the next day and they'd join him then. But he didn't. He came at midnight. And Jesus tells us, that's what the end of the world will be like. It will be a long wait. But because it's such a long wait, longer than we might have expected then we can't let it catch us off guard. We can't be surprised by it. And it certainly has been a long wait, much longer than we might have expected, almost 2,000 years and counting. In fact, uh, the picture we get in the New Testament is that the early Christians thought Jesus was coming back any day. In 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul basically tells them, don't just sit around. It seems like lots of them had sold all their property. They weren't working. They were just sitting there expecting Jesus to return any day he didn't. And he hasn't in the last 2,000 years. Jesus' return has been a long time coming. But we shouldn't be surprised by that, because the Bible tells us that to God, a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years are like a day, which means that two days have passed since Jesus came the first time. And for all we know, it could still be another 2,000 years until Jesus comes again, it could be 2,000 years until the end of the world. Or it could be tomorrow. And we need to make sure that that long wait doesn't catch us off guard. We need to pre- be prepared for it, to have our backup oil, to have practiced our driving, to have done our homework on the house, so that when it happens, we're prepared for it. Even if it happens, much sooner than we would expected, or much later than we'd expected because so many will be caught off guard when Jesus returns. The end of the world will be like a normal day. On that day, there'll be students playing down ball at lunchtime. There'll be a couple out on their first date. There'll be dentists giving fillings. There'll be retired couples pulling the weeds and sweeping up the leaves. It will be a completely normal day amongst the countless other normal days since Jesus left. And then, all of a sudden, in the midst of it all, Jesus will appear. There's something almost unspeakably awful about the idea for those who aren't prepared. Such unexpectedness, such finality about it. And this story with a purpose warns us to be prepared, because the big wait will be a big surprise. So that's the first reason. The second reason we need to be prepared is because your fate will be your responsibility. Because did you see what happens next in the parable? The foolish virgins asked the wise virgins for some oil. Have a look at verses seven to nine. Then all of the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. They ask for oil and the wise virgins say, no. Now, at first, that might, we might think that sounds a little bit harsh or a little bit unfair. We might think, well, why didn't they share? That seems so selfish. But if they'd shared, then they wouldn't have had enough for themselves. There wasn't enough oil to go around for everyone. They'd have all run out. And the reality is that the foolish virgins have no one to blame but themselves. They knew that the groom could be a while, And so it was their responsibility to make sure they had enough oil. Their fate was their responsibility. It wasn't someone else's job to cover for them. And in the same way, when the end of the world comes, our preparedness is up to us, not someone else. Our fate will be our responsibility, which can be a bit of a challenge for us. Uh, We live in a culture where it's so easy to get someone else to do something for you, to delegate out. Uh, Back in the day, if you wanted to do something, you had to do it yourself. But now there's things like Airtasker. If you don't know what Airtasker is, it's basically a website where you can get someone, you can pay someone to do absolutely anything for you. Uh, You can hire someone to set up your TV in your home theatre system. Uh, You can hire someone to build your IKEA furniture. You can even hire someone to do your homework, which I'm sure none of our students would do, but that's the world we live in. There's always someone else you can delegate work out to. But at the end of the world, our fate will be our responsibility. We can't task it out. It's all about our own faith. Uh, We won't be able to get by on our parents' faith. We won't be able to get by on our spouse's faith. We won't be able to get by on our friend's faith. We won't be able to get by on the faith of others here at church. No, on that day, it's all on us. Either we are prepared. We had faith and we trusted in Jesus. We trusted that his work on the cross was sufficient. Or we weren't prepared. We didn't have faith in Jesus. We hadn't trusted in him. So in one sense, you're on your own before the judgment throne. And just like those foolish virgins were on on their own in the parable. And so that's the second reason we need to be prepared because our fate will be our responsibility. And the third reason we need to be prepared is because too late will be too bad. While those with the oil are welcomed into the wedding ceremony, did you see what happens to the virgins who don't have oil? Verse 10, the groom arrives while they're off getting some and the door is shut and they are locked out, and they won't be let in, even if they return. That's what we see in verses 10 to 12. Have a look with me. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. They come back with the oil and beg to be let in. But the Lord says, no, he doesn't even know them. Now, this might seem a little bit strange after all. In real life, the groom would let them in, even if they were a little bit late. So why doesn't he let them in? It sounds so harsh. They went to all the effort to go off and get more oil. They could have called it a night, they could have gone home, but they didn't. They went to get the oil and return. So why doesn't he let them in? It's because Jesus is showing us at the end of the world, on judgment day, even one minute late will be too late. Now we might presume that if we go and get prepared when we see it happening and then come a little bit later, then that's okay. The groom will relent and will let us in. And we live in a culture where it's okay to be late. In fact, sometimes it's actually good to be late Uh, When you're going over to someone's house for a meal, often it's seen as courteous to be five minutes late, just to make sure you don't catch them off guard, make sure they've got time to be prepared. But it's not like that with this. When the time comes, it will be too late to undo the damage of neglect. There won't be any second chances. Ultimately, too late will be too bad, and the door will stay closed. And so that's why, in verse 13, Jesus tells us to keep watch, to be prepared. Because we don't know when the end of the world is coming. We don't know the hour or the minute. And when it comes, either we're prepared or we're not. And if we're not prepared, then it's too late, we'll be too bad. And so in this story with a purpose, Jesus makes it so clear to us that we need to be prepared for the end of the world because the big wait will be a big surprise, because our fate will be our responsibility, and because too late will be too bad. See, we need to be prepared. But the reality is there's only two options for us, two options concerning the end of the world. The first is that the end of the world is still a long time coming, still a long way away. It doesn't come for another 100 years or 200 years or 2,000 years when you're no longer around or that the end of the world is soon in your lifetime. But you know what? In a sense, both options are the same. Because either way, whether the world happens, end of the world happens while we're alive for it, or it doesn't and we die before it comes, either way, we'll all have to stand before the groom and give an account for ourselves. And when he asks us why we should be let into heaven why we should be welcomed into the wedding banquet. If our answer is anything other than because of Jesus, then the door will be shut. We won't be able to attend that wedding feast. And we'll hear those words from the groom, truly I tell you, I don't know you. My grandpa grew up going to church and attended church for his whole life, he, lived for, he died at the age of 85 years old, which means if he went to church almost every week, say 50 times a year, then that means that he went to church more than 4,000 times. And yet, for all of that, he wasn't prepared. If you'd have asked him why he should get into heaven, he'd have said something along the lines of, because I'm a pretty decent person, I go to church, I take care of my family, I'm much better than most other people. But see, that's not enough. That's not an answer that will satisfy God because the perfect God demands perfect obedience. And that's why the only answer that can get us into heaven is because of Jesus' perfect obedience, because of Jesus' perfect life and then death in our place. And so for my grandpa, for much of his life, he wasn't prepared. For 85 years, if the end of the world had have come, and he was like the foolish virgins. And how sad it would be if even a single one of us here today was like that. How sad it would be to attend church, to sit here and hear the warning, to hear the way that Jesus is urging us to be prepared, to be ready, and yet to ignore it, to leave here not prepared for the end of the world. But it's not too late. Because do you know what happened with my grandpa? As he was lying in hospital, quite literally on his deathbed, he finally realized the truth. He finally realized that the only way to heaven was through Jesus. And so after having gone to church for more than 4,000 times and not been prepared, that finally clicked. And he put his trust in Jesus and the work that Jesus had done on the cross. And so finally he was prepared for the end of the world. And so let me ask you this, are you prepared? For those of us who are prepared, we ha- who have put their trust in Jesus, then praise God, it's so encouraging. And so are you living according to that? Are you looking forward to being welcomed into the wedding feast? Are you looking upward towards the heavenly wedding feast with Jesus? See, don't lose focus by getting distracted, but rather fix your eyes on the groom. But for those of us who aren't prepared, then why not do it today, right now? Why not put your trust in Jesus? Trust that the work He did on the cross means you're now presented as pure and holy and blameless. And trust that on His account, you'll be welcomed into that great wedding feast. See, don't be caught out like the foolish virgins, locked outside the end of the world is coming. It might be two hours away or it might be two months away. It might be two decades away or it might be 2,000 years away. But no matter what, it is coming. Are you prepared? I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the warning that this parable gives us. And we thank you that it tells us just how important it is for us to be prepared. And so we pray that you would be at work in every single heart here today, that we would all be prepared, we would all put our trust in Jesus. And we thank you that you have provided a way for us to be prepared, that it's not about our hard works, it's not about the good deeds we've done, but rather it's about Jesus and what he's done. And so we thank you for that, and we thank you for the gift of the wedding celebration that we will be welcomed into because of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen.